Welcome to Guilty Treasures, a podcast about everything you ever loved and were afraid to talk about. I'm your host, Ann Kern. And I'm also your host, Emily Cardamus. I feel like we should talk about before we introduce our guest uh, that this is a year of this podcast, of us doing this podcast. Which we were very surprised to learn right before we started recording yes. this. Because <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's been quite that long yet, but no. here we are. It is very weird to think about. The passage of time is very strange. <laughs> and the number of people who have, for some reason or another, deciding that they wanted to be a part of this very weird thing thing that we're doing is extremely overwhelming in a very very good way yeah i mean i was i was gonna do it no matter what you you can't stop me from (laughs) from doing nonsense (laughs) but uh but having people actually encourage me doing nonsense is um is a very lovely thing i feel like you're gonna do it without so you're saying you would do this podcast without me you're not kidding no No, well, I mean, obviously it wouldn't work without the guests because what would I do? I would sit here in silence. So you you also have to be here because sometimes I do sit here in silence when I maybe potentially am not sure what I want to ask next. So (laughs) everyone is an integral part, including the listeners. So in spite of the fact that we've been doing this for a year and have had a variety of technical difficulties, we have discovered a new technical problem, which I want to bring up because my audio quality is a little bit less than I would like in this episode. And it is because of a weird glitch with Google Hangouts. Uh, We normally use Skype. We use Google for this one. And uh, I strongly recommend that you use Chrome because it would not, uh, you guys could not hear me without it sounding like some kind of weird techno, like house music. You were a robot. Yeah, Yeah, I couldn't hear it. And it was like terrifying, but really useful if you had the right application for it. Yeah, if you do want to make some weird music, then do use Firefox because that might happen. But if you don't, pro tip, now that we've been doing this for a year and totally know what we're doing, uh, maybe try Chrome. We're experts, right? We are professionals. Doing something for a year automatically makes you an expert at it. So speaking of people who are experts in things by having done them a lot, or at least by their measure, maybe experts, our guest this week is an expert in the game Dishonored, but specifically Dishonored, the first one. Our guest this week is Hadley St. Clair. They're a video game writer, uh, super cool and amazing. And if you haven't played Hack yet, when we recommended it when Kevin Cole was on the show you should go play Hack because they wrote it but we have a really cool discussion about this game that neither of us knew anything about and it ended up being a very wild ride in terms of yes. information that uh, I did not know about a game at all there were some significant plot twists in the information that we thought we had about Dishonored which was already very little so instead of us spoiling any more of the conversation uh, come sail away with us on it the conversation's a boat <laughs> And we're going. Here we go. We Except the game is set on land, but it's by the sea, so close enough. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and spending this time with us. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. I am glad to be part of the wholesomeness that is this podcast. I love uh, wholesome is such a good, I just always like my heart, I'm like, so warmed by being by our show being described as wholesome. I'm just well, like, it is the like the like positive energy of this show is like staggering to me because it's like it's like, well, it's just like people gushing about a thing which is inherently wholesome. 
I think. Yeah, we've had so many people come on and, like, then apologize for talking to him. It's like, no, that's the point. <laughs> the point is for you to come on and gush. Like, that's why we made the show. Like, that's the point. God, I'm sorry for having feelings. <laughs> Forgive me. Uh, but if you want to just, uh, if you could just introduce yourself, talk a little bit about, little bit about what you do, and then uh, introduce the topic you brought to talk about. Okay. Hi, my name is Hadley St. Clair. You probably know me from, well, you probably know me from Twitter, to be honest. But you might also know me as the host of season two of Pretend Friends. Or you might know me as the person who wrote the script for the video game Hack. I really don't know. But those are the only three things I've ever done in my whole life. So (laughs) that's how you would probably know me. And I am here today to talk your ear off about the video game Dishonored 2012. Not the second video game called Dishonored. Not Dishonored 2. Not Dishonored Death of the Outsider. None of that. I'm here to talk to you specifically about the 2012 video game, Dishonored. I didn't know that there were multiple... I knew that there was a Dishonored 2. I didn't know there were multiple Dishonored There was like games. a like a, a thousand years ago, like an unrelated title. It comes up occasionally in Google results and it's like wild. But anyway, that's not what I'm here to talk I'm not here to talk about it. And you've, you've tricked me into talking about it. <laughs> we will never speak of it again. <laughs> It is banished. Both of us have no idea about this game. I've like heard okay. of it in passing. Yeah, I've heard uh, of it, but, but I, I don't know. I don't. I know nothing about it. So All right. for, I can, for I'll us, give you the yeah. I'll give you the like the back of the box. The like the boardroom pitch. Dishonored is a stealth game uh, that hinges heavily on. I want to say player discretion is the correct term. Uh, It's a morality play and you kind of decide how that goes. But it's also a stealth game that it very much, in a way that other stealth games don't do this, uh, gives you the option to just say fuck it and turn it into a standard FPS game. Also, it is written for nerds like me who are absolutely batshit about maritime history and really like whales. Um, so it's just, it's like, it, it's almost a game that was designed to like hit me in the face with how much I wanted to play it. But also I really like what it does with the stealth genre, what it does to play on that. It does take a lot of cues from Thief and the Thief series, which Probably won't mean anything to either of you, but if anyone who's listening is a Thief fan, like, yep, you're correct. Dishonored did lift that from your favorite series, but it also did it better. Sorry, not sorry. Dishonored is a game where you play as uh, a man named Corvo Atano, and you start off coming home from a basically a business trip to uh, the other islands of this empire that you belong to, and you've been asking them questions about, hey, uh, all of our people are kind of dying of plague. Do you have any ideas? That's like what you've been sent to do. You, you're coming home from that, and within the first five minutes of the whole game, the empress, who you're supposed to be protecting, is literally murdered in front of you. And you're framed for it. So you are dishonored. Uh, And you have to either, and this is what I meant by player choice, you have to either like regain your good name and kind of show the kingdom that you live in that you didn't do this. Or you can just kill everyone and no one will ever know the truth, but you'll know the truth and you've got a dead body pile going. And woven into that, you have to rescue the Empress's daughter, Emily, who is also your daughter, but that's not like a widely known thing at this time. By Dishonored 2, I think it is. Apologies to anyone who's ever worked on Dishonored because I have not played Dishonored 2 or Death of the Outsider because my computer can't run them. It's not because I don't want to play your games. I am just poor. <laughs> anyway, the the basic pitch of this is it's a revenge fantasy if you want it to be, which I think is the most interesting concept for a game I've ever heard of in my life. 
And that's why it's my favorite game. When were you first introduced to it? So E3 2011, I was 21. And there was a, I believe it was E3. It might have been like a pre-E3 like fake leak or something, but it was around the, it was around E3. The launch trailer for Dishonored came out and it was this kind of fantastical uh, version of what this game would be, to be honest. And I think, I honestly think that the devs have like owned up to this too, like publicly. Like I, I definitely remember listening to an interview with Harvey Smith, who was like the creative lead and, and godmaster of this game, uh, saying like, yeah, we kind of, we kind of shot for the moon in that trailer. But one of the things it showed <laughs> me that like fascinated me, other than all of the like the aesthetic of this like basically a whaling town that was just going to shit which is infinitely fascinating to me and I'll get into why later the the reason is not Lovecraft actually spoilers it's not Lovecraft the thing that like caught my attention because I was still like a I was still like a, a baby in terms of how many video games I'd ever played but I saw that this was a stealth game which I'd always been kind of scared to try but this one would let you see through walls if you wanted to and I remember that being like the first thing that I saw that I was like oh shit that's awesome and this is like long before I knew I wanted to be a narrative designer that I wanted to work in games like anything like that I just was like that is hands down the coolest shit I've ever seen <laughs> and that was that was E3 2011 and hello Lucy is here Aww. my cat's here everybody she's yelling at me she's the four she's our second guest on, on this episode yeah, yeah. not great everyone, stuff, everyone's like hi to Lucy no loose loose nope I don't want to jump immediately to the whales part, but it was definitely what immediately. Like. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I mean, that was going to be my question. Certainly, was like some more information about the setting of this game because I don't know that I quite have a handle on it. So it's a like a seaside town. So okay, Dishonored takes place in the town of Dunwall, which is this. It is a seaside town, but it's a sprawling city. And a city in which, for 2012, you have a lot of free reign. And uh, the economy of Dunwall had previously been whaling uh, and harvesting whale oil, which is not like what we would call whale oil in the real world. So we did have that for real, if anyone didn't know. We actually did harvest basically like internal oils and essences. And, and like we basically harvested a lot of shit from whales, uh, mostly their blubber, which was turned into, quote, oil. And we used that to burn lamps. So if you've ever seen an old timey oil lamp, it was usually whale oil because you can't just light kerosene in a household. Mm. I mean, you can. It's not advisable. <laughs> yeah, it's possible, but you shouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. You can, but people did die that way. But yeah, so whale oil was actually one of America's first massive exports. And the whaling capital of the world for a while was in uh, Nantucket. And I think, where else? New Bedford. I think New York got in on the game, but not very much. But basically, the, the northern east coast of New England for a while controlled the whale oil market on the planet. And that's where my interest comes in also, because Dunwall bears interesting resemblance to... I mean, they based it on, I think, structurally London, which doesn't make a ton of sense, but I think so. And then parts of it are very French, which is weird. But for me, it reminded me of... I worked at a maritime museum in Newburyport, Mass., a uh, shout out to the Custom House Maritime Museum, my guys. But I worked there and I was like neck deep in the history of Newburyport weren't whalers. They were shipbuilders mostly and merchants. But so they were trading in whale oil, among other things. I was like living, like going into archive rooms and seeing all of these handwritten notes between ship's captains about stuff like this. And so Dishonored like speaks to that in me. And I, I do want to make it clear, like I just, I played the game Dishonored for the first time long after it came out. So after I had worked at the museum, I Dishonored came out in 2012 and I didn't play it until probably 2015. There was a, a time gap while I was acquiring enough money to buy a computer that could play it. But yeah, so I was, I was 
was just like instantly drawn to this world that was also as in love with maritime gothic, basically, as I was. And uh, I, I do hear the word Lovecraftian thrown around a lot when people are talking about Dishonored. And that's, to me, missing something. Lovecraft wrote a lot of things that were not quite... What, just, I think the, the best way to describe Dishonored is whale punk, frankly. <laughs> um, because it oh, is, it's that. quote, it's steampunk, but not is the thing, is that it it borrows from the steampunk aesthetic, but it makes it much grittier. And if anything, Dishonored bears more resemblance to a combination of Master and Commander and Gangs of New York than it does steampunk anything, which is two of my favorite movies. Do not judge me. (laughs) I did mention that I am a history bitch and that I love that. Um, So yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I was really excited to have like a fantasy space to play in that was also as nerdy as I am. So shout out to, I, I don't know whom on the original writing team was like, what if this, but whales, but I am, (laughs) <laughs> I owe you everything. I love this. And the the whales do like feature in the plot. Like the idea is that they've been overhunted by Dunwall and there is some there is some suggestion that the reason that this horrible plague has descended on the city, on the empire, is that uh whaling has taken away this like stabilizing element in the universe uh in the form of the whales. And there's also I should mention your magic powers do come from a place and that place is uh an ancient god who takes the form of a 15-year-old boy who snarks at you and gives you magic powers and he's cool as shit. He's called the outsider. And he just does what the fuck he wants, which is mostly show up to be sassy with you. But that's the uh, the cool, like, mark on the back of your hand. If you've ever seen the trailer, that's uh, from him. And it doesn't mean a lot other than that it's from him, but it's neat. Uh, <laughs> and other people seem to know that it means that you're into some weird black magic shit. Yeah, there's like, I could talk for more than an hour. I could talk for easily five hours about the lore of Dishonored because I have an encyclopedic knowledge of this game to the point where it's like maybe embarrassing, possibly embarrassing considering I didn't work on this game and I don't know any of the devs, but I'm sitting here like, yeah, but I know all your shit. This is an embarrassment-free zone. Yeah. Oh, uh, the closest I've come is to like edit a wiki, but like <laughs> I, I sit here with all of my useless whale knowledge. Obviously, like kind of the setting, it sounds like what really initially drew you and hooked you on the game um, along with this like idea of like there's this choice of how you get to play it. I'm curious as to how much that player agency like affects the world oh a lot depending on what you're doing you get quote missions which is very much inspired by thief and other stealth games that have like the concept of okay you're going to go out in the world for a set amount of plot events and you're going to work your way through this bit of the story. And I think it's, I may, might be falling out now. I don't know. I have not played a stealth game recently because like I said, bad computer. But I think previously it was a very good way to make a, particularly a stealth game, immersive while keeping it stealthy. As a narrative designer, there's really only so much stealth you can justify narratively before you have to be like, okay, this is getting fucking ridiculous. Um, <laughs> you can't like, you can't walk in an abandoned neighborhood stealthily, right? right? You have to have people around and you can only have so many people because of the limitations of how many you can program into the game, how much AI can the game handle. And Dishonored did find out that sometimes they did put too much for the game to handle. Occasionally the guards do some weird shit, which is just, I think, another reason to love the game. I think probably the greatest effect on the lore that gameplay has is that you are given major targets and you are told, well, you can dispose of this one violently or non-violently. And that's a trap, utterly. They're lying to you because you can kill 
and I mean outright slaughter every major target. And you can still finish in what's called low chaos. And it's because you didn't hurt any civilians. Or guards. You can kill a number of guards and still be low chaos, but if you kill too many cops and start leaving, like, body piles in the street, understandably that, like, freaks people out. You are mostly affecting the plot by how vicious you're being on your way to your target. And that does have drastic ramifications. Uh, I guess spoiler alert for a game that came out in 2012. One of my favorite narrative decisions, and it's such a it's such a brutal narrative decision. The game functions on a chaos system, quote unquote, which is there's low chaos, which is you barely killed anybody slash you made some moral choices. Medium chaos, which is kind of the quote true ending of the game, which is yeah you killed some people, but they mostly had it coming. Then there's high chaos, which is you killed a lot of people and you did it loudly. And then there's highest chaos which is an incredibly hard ending to get and i, I want to make it clear that this is not like good end bad end like no this is just a different it's like a choose your own adventure based on how brutal you wanted to be if you went through the game absolutely slaughtering your way through the streets of dunwall killing people indiscriminately killing every major target causing absolute mayhem everywhere you went you can get the highest chaos ending and that one ends with you not being able to save your daughter which i think is the most fucked up thing I-, I can imagine, right? And that's like, that's an ending so fucked up that I've only got it once because I had to go out of my way and I was like, I hate this. I play this game one of two ways. I play it basic high chaos, which is kind of, yeah, I killed some people and I killed all the major targets. So it gave me quote high chaos. And my other way to play it is I am a literal ghost. No one ever sees me. I have not touched a human. So that's like my mostly favorite is like everybody gets put to sleep and I'm choke holding everybody. But so if you play, if you play highest chaos, if you play the darkest version of the game, you lose a 10 year old girl off this like towering lighthouse and she falls into the sea and you're done and that's how it ends even the um there's like an epilogue that you get where the outsider kind of sums up your actions and that epilogue he doesn't speak to you at all which is really fucked up or at least i don't think he does it's been a couple years since i made a super high chaos run someone will probably correct me on that but i'm pretty sure he just kind of doesn't say a thing he's just like shit dude (laughs) (laughs) i just feel like that's great storytelling i do I really do. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that, like, I-, I feel like a lot of games like that make it a good or bad ending. I mean, obviously, that, like, most drastic ending is pretty bad. Yeah, but, that one, that one like, I'll give you. But the other, like, yeah, the, the basic high chaos ending isn't, I wouldn't say it's bad. It just ends with you getting your daughter back. And then she's like, she, she says something along the lines of, I won't let anyone hurt us again. I'm going to kill them all just like you. And you're like, okay. And that's, and roll credits. <laughs> you've done it. You, you've saved her. And maybe have some regrets about that yeah is there is there some kind of since there's well i mean it's calling it a punishment for highest chaos is maybe not accurate but is there some kind of like positive equivalent if you if you just put everyone to sleep probably for me one of the biggest differences is that um you're kind of co-conspirators in this the people who like break you out of prison in the first place and tell you that you can avenge the empress's death what happens to them differs drastically depending on what chaos level you're in and it's real it's real fucked up what happens to them in high chaos but in low chaos they all die basically because they were stupid and trusted the wrong dude they do betray you like they're horrible people whatever but like it like stacks from like you seeing them die after the fact and being aware like oh they really fucked up here and i wasn't even part of it to high chaos basically forces you to watch one of them die and either well you can either murder one of them or if you're me you can sleep dart him before he finishes his cutscene, and then you can just leave him <laughs> under the table and then he's fine <laughs> i don't think that's how you're meant to, to do that in 
encounter. I'm pretty sure it's not. But when you're me and you've got all the sleep dart upgrades and all the crossbow upgrades, you have a hyper fast go to sleep instantly dart. And uh, he doesn't finish his monologue and he just takes a nap. Uh, but other otherwise, it's really fucked up. So like in terms of like punishment or incentive in low chaos, when the rest of them are already dead, the sort of main villain eventually of this this game is basically like, do you want to just go get your daughter? Like, here's the fucking key. I'm done. I'm miserable. Just take it. And you can take it. And then he tries to stab you in the back. And then because you've uploaded, you've like upgraded all your powers, you can kill him in like one hit, which is depressing. But by that point in the game, you're like, fuck you. I fought my way through so many people. Uh, and then you just get like a happy hug from your daughter, which is amazing as a, as like the end of a really violent game. Otherwise, that's like extremely good. And it's very sweet. And then in high chaos, it's like, no, you're going to have to fight for that, too. And then when she hugs you, she's like, I'm going to kill everyone. And you're like, uh-huh. Cool. I'm a great father. I've done it, guys. I think uh, also just like I just want to gush momentarily about the other thing that this game does. It has 100% of my favorite secondary characters ever in any video game. Just all of them are there. They're all in Dishonored. Let me just run down a quick list. There's my number one boy, my favorite. A gang leader named Slackjaw, who, when you first meet him, well, you don't meet him this time. You break into his, like, gang hideout and steal some stuff from him or kill everyone. It really doesn't matter which way. Either way, he wants to to meet you after whatever you've done. And, like, you waltz into his office and he's just like, hey, you're here! And has, like, the most chill reaction to you being here ever. And it's fucking hilarious and I love him. This is a man who wears pink plaid pants suspenders, a bright yellow shirt, and like the worst sock and shoe combo I've ever seen. And he's just like, whatever. I have like a whole gang of hired killers. None of them are effective. Do you want to work for me? And if you're me, you're like, I fucking would love to. You're ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) So he's my number one favorite. He is wild. Followed up closely by Teague Martin, who is one of the people who like saves you from jail. And he's a priest ostensibly, but you learn very quickly, uh, that he it was not always a priest. And I just realized I've left out a huge part of this gameplay, but I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back because there's probably mm-hmm. people listening to this screaming. But I'm gonna circle back. <laughs> I know what I, I know what I fucked up with. I'm gonna circle back. Chill. So Teague Martin, ostensibly a priest, you learn pretty quickly that he's not really in it for the priesthood, he's in it for like, I don't actually know. I, I have no idea what his actual shit is, which is one of the reasons I like him so much. Um, he's just a cagey motherfucker, and you absolutely never learn what he wanted other than power, which he could have just had. It's wild. Uh, but he is an instant favorite of mine because the first time you see him, he is in like stocks. And there's another priest dude who's like taunting him. And Teague Martin immediately makes a joke about this dude's wife. Like that's the first time you see him is he makes a joke about fucking someone else's wife, which is the most power move from a priest imaginable so obviously obviously i love him yeah also spoiler warning all my favorite characters are villains for some reason um and then third up there is a crazy old lady named granny rags who is voiced by susan sarandon for some reason what sure yes no seriously (laughs) yeah and she she just is around in the city and she's just you find her just in corners talking to herself and she'll give you quote presents which are like runes that you can use to like upgrade your powers but she'll give you presents for doing like errands for her and the errands are usually killing people one time she asks you to like poison a still slackjaws whiskey still but she asks you to poison it and she's like that'll show that gang and then later you find like a piece of paper that's like yeah that's the still that they're using to make bootleg medicine that they're giving to poor people and you're like ah hmm (laughs) 
I have made a horrible error. She's just, I just love her. She's just, she's like if the Joker were interesting. She absolutely never tells you anything that she wants. All she wants is for the outsider to like talk to her ever again. Because she just really likes this weird 15 year old god. And she just kind of shows up being crazy. And then like late in the game, when you've just escaped this whole like sewer level that is just fucking awful. You just kind of walk into a room and she's attempting to shove Slackjaw into a bathtub full of like boiling acid. And she's like, oh, you're here. Can you help me? And you're like, I'm going to turn around and go back in the sewers. I don't want to know what I just walked into. <laughs> so the, uh, these are just like a cross section of why this game has my favorite secondary characters ever. Because there's more and they're also good. But those are my like top three rider dies. I'm trying to picture them pitching this role to Susan Sarandon. <laughs> uh, and it's a journey. <laughs> she like loved it, though. I mean, you can hear her just like chewing scenery. You can hear her just going fucking wild wild in the sound booth especially during like like the part where she's like can you throw this unconscious man into a bathtub for me or not unconscious actually you have to knock him out first because Slackjaw's sitting there like uh don't I would really appreciate it if you didn't could you please not with the, the, this shit but so if you choose instead to like free him or just you want to you want to fight her just because I don't know some of her lines in that are so good that I just want to meet Susan Sarandon just so I can shake her hand because there's there's a line that like it's such a throwaway line and whoever wrote it like didn't show up to work that day they were just like fuck it whatever i'm trying to remember what it was it's just the most throwaway villain line and the way that susan sarandon says it is so like just unbelievably shakespearean that i just wanted to clap (laughs) just i love it i'm in love with her performance in that game i also just really enjoy this like i know that this isn't really the core of the game but i really enjoy now this mental image of like this supernatural like assassin character just kind of like weirdly stumbling into all these awkward situations in this town and just being like never mind I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is that the game, in every occasion except for that one, I think, the game pretty much lets you say, whatever, I'm going. I actually don't know. You probably technically could just leave during that. I've never tried to, and now I'm going to. That's the thing is that a lot of things, you'll just like be near a situation that is going on, and you can choose to do something about it, or you can just kind of let it happen. I guess the example that first jumps to mind is at one point, you're leaving after uh, a major mission where you've decided how to deal with the leader of this religious order who is like hopelessly corrupt and was part of the plot to kill the empress and you've either killed him or let somebody else kill him or you've just kind of outed him as like the worst dude ever like whatever oh no you don't out him as the worst dude ever you get him excommunicated by like force anyway whatever you've done (laughs) when you're escaping out the back of that if you've done medium or high chaos you come across a scene where there is um one of the priest dudes is arguing with another one and he's standing in front of a woman. It Like, you walk into the scene, he is mid-sentence saying, please, she's not a witch, she's my sister. Please don't hurt her. And the other dude has, like, a gun drawn. And you, as Corvo, can choose to just look at this and go, nope and just leave like there's an avenue directly to your right that is like you could just go uh or you can cause a confrontation you can walk in if you're me i walk in draw a gun and shoot the other dude in the head because i'm like no you're not gonna kill this innocent woman fuck you or you can just put everyone to sleep and they can all have a nice little nap in a dumpster somewhere and that's fine (laughs) you can just choose to do what you want to do with that scene and there's like so many moments in the game like that where you can just kind of do something or not that's really unique to dishonored i think i have not 
not encountered another game that does that. And it's probably just because I haven't played enough games. But like, I can't think of a title like Dishonored or even not like it that allows you to have that much agency over whether you get involved or not. For example, Metal Gear, if you're noticed, you're noticed. Um, Skyrim, if you're part of a scene, you are fucking part of that scene, huh? Dishonored is really unique in that you can just kind of decide to not do anything in a given situation. Or you can decide, I'm God in this scenario and you will all listen to me. And you can get real creative with how you do that. I mean, at late levels, your powers include stopping time, um, at which point you can attach a grenade to a human being if you so choose. Or to a rat, also if you so choose. Um, (laughs) You know, whatever you want. You can possess someone and make them walk in front of someone else's gun just just in time for it to go off. Like, you can meddle. You can play God. Uh, And that's one of the things that'll put your chaos rating through the roof. Or you can just, like leave it alone. Um, And I just think that that is, I think it's brilliant. And I think it's not been replicated in a way that was satisfying to me personally. (laughs) Possibly there are games that have tried that. I, I, not to dunk on other games. I obviously love video games as a whole. I'm just saying none of them have provided that specific experience to me that I long for, that I crave. Um, And I do want to circle back just real quick to the major plot point that I did forget that both of you are going to be like, how in the fuck did you? (laughs) (laughs) A thing that happens after you are broken out of jail, when you meet, uh, once you're like safe and sound, you meet the outsider for the first time. And the outsider's like, oh, I have a thing that you should go get. And the thing that you have to go get is the cobbled together, freakishly, unnaturally beating heart of the Empress. And she talks to you and guides you through the whole game if you want her to. So she'll show you where stuff for upgrades is. But also if you ask her to, she will like tell you about people. Um, She doesn't remember that she was the Empress or she does once or twice, I think, but mostly not. And she says very explicitly that she is neither alive nor dead and that existence is a nightmare for her. And so you're carrying around your, essentially your dead wife's heart for this entire game. And sometimes she talks. And that's a whole other aspect of horror. A whole other reason I love this game. The times it goes for horror... It goes, like, full bore for horror. It just does not slow up. Um, Especially in the DLC for this game, you get to play as the guy who killed the Empress. And there is a scene in uh, the Knife of Dunwall DLC where you're playing as the guy who kills the Empress, who is a whole other character I haven't gotten into who is also amazing, who is voiced by, oh God, what's what's his name? The dude who played Bud in Kill Bill, Michael Madsen, which is like wild when you're looking at a video game character and Michael fucking Madsen's voice is coming out of him. That's a whole trip. You get to play as him and there is a scene where you just crawl through whale viscera and that legitimately turned my stomach so when this game when this game goes for horror it goes really hard yeah i was i was wondering where the lovecraft came in but then when you mentioned the necromantic heart that's like your knobby basically i guess that's where oh it's bad and it's also like the woman you loved because as the player you're like that's fucked up but as corvo you must be like i hate everything and revenge is literally the only thing keeping me from throwing myself in the sea well revenge and getting your daughter back who is uh uh, your daughter, Emily, is voiced by Chloe Grace Moritz, if anyone's a fan of her. Uh, <laughs> it was like, I assume, one of her first roles, period. Maybe yeah. before that, I knew her from Kick-Ass and that was the only thing. She's super cute and does an extremely good job, considering she was probably like 12. So I, di- I just thought I should circle back to the heart thing. Yeah, that does <laughs> seem like a very important yeah. sort of aspect. I never use it. I never use it. That's the thing is that I always, I always do these like... Full stealth runs. And I've, listen, I've put 493 hours, according to Steam, into this game. I know what she's going to say. I do not need to hear her. I got it. I've talked to her before. I know that if I point her at Slackjaw's ass, she's going to tell me, Whores raised him. 
he does not know he's the son of a prince. Like, yeah, I got it, lady. I fucking get it. <laughs> See, I also, I am also enamored with this version of this character just being like, yeah, I have my dead wife's heart <laughs> with me. Like, it's whatever. <laughs> I, I do sense that my particular role play of Corvo Atano has shifted drastically since I first played the game because now I'm just like, Haha, whatever. When I first played the game, I was like full of horror and now like, I don't fucking give a shit. So I go through these levels where I'm just like, everybody's asleep in a big pile in the middle of the street and you're all gonna see it and then I'm gonna trank dart you and then I'm gonna trank dart you and I don't <laughs> script wise I don't think that that's how the character was written but here we are it's a nap party now that's what's happening <laughs> oh and which brings me actually to a really good point about Corvo as a character which is that he's silent the whole game Corvo is a silent protagonist people will talk to him uh it's kind of like Legend of Zelda in that regard weirdly people will talk to him but you almost never get to choose what he's gonna say if he says anything and when you do select a quote dialogue option you don't hear a voice line which led to all these really cool fan interpretations about oh he's mute or oh this is a deaf guy and he's signing which I like almost prefer no offense to the entirety of the rest of Dishonored because they do have him voiced in the next game but I just love the concept of a literally mute protagonist um i love it uh and i I don't know why but like to me when i first played the game that was like really appealing to me the concept that whatever he was getting across he was getting it across uh some way that i couldn't see or hear which is like different than legend of zelda which i just mentioned in that usually you can still see link doing like a motion or something i don't know i was i was very in love with the idea that when i told a dude to fuck off i was doing it with my eyes yeah i don't know i i thought it was cool at the time basically the silent protagonist and nowadays I know what Corvo's voice sounds like and I'm uncomfortable with that fact. I understand why they had to have him voiced because they in Dishonored 2 um, you can play as Corvo or Emily, his daughter so you, I can see why they were like it would make absolutely no narrative sense to have both of them not talk and then like have scenes together where they just, I mean the only narrative sense it would make is if they were both deaf and they had already established that Emily could talk in the first game so they put themselves extremely into a corner there. I don't know. I, I just think that Silent Corvo adds a lot to the experience, especially when you come across a, a, like an awkward situation and you're just sitting there as Corvo and you're dead silent and you turn on your heel and you just leave. I, I loved that. It's such a good experience to have in Dishonored is to just look at a scene and go, mm, 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 and just go, <laughs> just leave. Yeah. Just go do the rest of the mission. Just don't deal with it. It really is the most like the most power fantasy, but like in a very mundane way of like when you're in a, like just a normal situation and you're like, man, I just want to go. Like, it's like, I'm just going to yeah. Irish goodbye this whole thing. Like, peace everybody like especially if your other alternative is just darting people so they fall asleep or you know you could also shoot them or something you there's a lot of ways i mean you also have a sword and you can do some damage to people if you feel like it you can start cutting limbs off um if your sword is sufficiently upgraded i mean at that point the game gets very violent and very like obviously so there's an extra gore option in the options menu you can turn on and off because they knew some people were going to want to play this as a standard fps and go through it on high chaos um which led to so much like forum discourse back then about is dishonored punishing you for playing the game and i would say to that stop playing call of duty please learn what art is please learn to have a moral center is all i don't think dishonored asks morality of its players any more than those arcade games where you have to shoot the aliens but not the civilians. I think Dishonored is definitely a morality test. 
And for players who experienced it blind for the first time, I think they felt like they were failing and they were very called out, but mm. they probably were failing because it's pretty hard to get a bad, like the, the bad ending in Dishonored. It is pretty hard. It's funny because, and I hate to, this is probably like the most rote conversation because I'm sure everyone has done this when it ter- comes to like talking about video games and morality, but it's very much like how Undertale basically hit the, like anviled it at you of yeah. like, let's talk about enemies and, you know, and like, not like violence in video games, but like that choice of as a player character of what you're gonna do um and a lot of people were like i don't understand though i'm playing a video game and it's like yeah yeah you can think too though is the thing (laughs) and and have feelings yeah well this is the difference between i think this what's like illustrated by these games and by people's reactions to them is the same thing that happens when you get a group of people to play D&D and some of them are not on board with what you're doing because inevitably there's that one player who's like i'm going to be antagonistic 100% of the time why do i keep dying in combat and it's because you've turned every guard in the town against you and none of your party want to help you anymore that's why and that's kind of the same thing that these players are are experiencing in video game form is oh i didn't know i had to critically think and the answer i think that undertale and that dishonored and that any other game with a successful morality system kind of is is forcing you to to think about is like well you're supposed to be moral 100% of the time and if you're shutting off your morality to play a video game in which you mindlessly slaughter people maybe you should examine that Maybe you should think about it for a hot minute. And I can see why Dishonored, especially, for people to be hit by that message from a game that looked like that, it was probably like, what the fuck? On the front of the box, it does look like your standard, just kind of shoot em up FPS, almost. It does kind of look like you're supposed to get bloody with it. Which I guess, again, you can, if you want, but then you're gonna have to do some introspection, and a 15-year-old who's actually 2,000 years old is going to call you out for being kind of a dick. It's interesting that you bring up Undertale, too, because I remember when I first played Undertale. Well, alright, admission. I am so fucking bad at both rhythm games and bullet hells so i have never actually played undertale i have watched it but so what once i had watched both the like what's the like peaceful run called Uh, called. pacifist i guess thank you i I watched the pacifist run and the genocide run and uh i watched all of that and i i remember talking to kevin kevin cole about it um kevin cole who made hack and also uh made a cool game called bars that's on itch right now that you should play haha uh we were talking about undertale and specifically like he was really excited to hear my reaction to undertale because it was still pretty new and i hadn't experienced it yet and my reaction was i think not as loud as he was expecting and he was kind of like thrown by it and i was like well i've played dishonored for about 200 hours and he was like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, I've already done this conversation with a video game, but I've done I've done it differently. Sure, it looked very differently, but I've already done this morality play. And uh, I, I do think they're both variations on the same theme, which is a really clever way to tie in player emotion to what is usually just an emotionless experience. What is usually just, I press buttons, give me joy. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I do think both Dishonored and Undertale are going out of their way to make you aware that that's what you're usually doing. Especially when Dishonored came out, I think that was not done at all. Because if anyone remembers, the 2010s, probably 2012 was like the tail end of it, actually. Probably it was the actual, like, the aughts. 
were such a fuckboy time in gaming. I mean, nobody was examining anything about their morals. In fact, we were very excited to have newer and better ways to shoot people, and that was like the whole video game. Like, there were entire E3 presentations that I remember distinctly one of them that was like, look how many ways you can customize your gun! And it, like, that was like a 15-minute fucking presentation. I don't remember who did that, but I do remember thinking, this is the worst, and I'm just, I just want to know when Mass Effect 3 is coming out. Please tell me, because I hate this. I don't know. And, and like, obviously, Obviously no slight to Undertale. I happen to have played like the one fucking game from the last decade that would have le- lessened the hit from Undertale. <laughs> this, this, I, like, I'm not sure if this is too technical or abstract question. So you're talking about kind of baking in this concept of morality to a game that has options of of how you engage with the game. And I was wondering from a a narrative design standpoint, doesn't having those kinds of open-ended options massively complicate the design of the game? So like, what do you think motivates a designer to choose to give you that many options, knowing that it has to be a lot harder, right? To give people that much of a playground? Yeah, this actually intersects with my work on Hack pretty well. Because when Kevin first approached me to write Hack, I was like, I'm not going to do it unless we can make it some kind of statement on morality within this game. During late dev for Hack, um, the 2016 election happened, and I doubled down. So the ending of Hack is like almost aggressively activist. It's, It's a whole thing. But one of the reasons that it was so important to me to make kind of a statement about games, but also about gameplay was Dishonored. And I think, like, not to put words in anybody's mouth, but I do think that um, when the creative leads of Dishonored, which, forgive me if I'm wrong, but as far as I know, that's Harvey Smith and Raphael Colantonio of Arcane, um, which is a division of Bethesda, or not, they're, I don't remember the technical term. They're a studio that is owned, sort of, by Bethesda. Bethesda's their publisher, but also their hardware and software supplier. I don't know the actual word, because I work in indie. But, uh, essentially, I can only imagine that the boardroom pitch meeting went like those two asking for the goddamn sun. I have to imagine that they were like going by the if you want a puppy, ask for a pony kind of situation because (laughs) the amount of shit that they pull off in Dishonored is still staggering to me to this day, especially considering at the time how comparatively small Arcane was as a studio. I mean, the the shit they got away with in this game, pretty much enormous levels considering the overall size of the game, the overall scope of it, Um, especially the last level, which they must have known they had to make it a show, right? And they make it enormous. They make it staggering to the point where I'm always shocked at how big the box is that I can play with by doing basically smoke and mirrors. And from a narrative perspective, I think it's easy to ask for the moon. It's easy to ask for the sun. You're just going to do it because that's how writers are. That's how we all are. But from a narrative design perspective, from a narrative perspective that has to work with programmers, I think Dishonored is maybe the best example I can humanly think of of a game where those people must have been talking to each other 100% of the time. I don't remember where it is, but there is a talk with Harvey Smith somewhere where he discusses that there was just a shit ton cut from the game. I mean, there were huge missions that were just cut. Um, There was supposed to be uh, a mission where you hunt down the priest guy I mentioned earlier, Teague Martin. There was supposed to be a mission where he was like ascending to basically Popehood and you were supposed to go get him. They had to cut that down into a scene that fit into another mission. So like the the scope did have to change, you know, because they were asking for so many different alternatives, so many different endings, the scope did have to change. And you can kind of see where it did um, if you have poured 493 goddamn hours into the game you can see you can kind of see where in there's one level where i swear to god you can see where they had started to make a pathway and then had to close it off with other assets i swear this is if anyone knows what i'm talking about it's during the uh lady 
Boyle mission where you have to go assassinate her. There is a part toward the front of the mansion off to the left that I swear to God looks like you should be able to go down that street and then they just stuck a bunch of art assets on it and threw up an invisible wall because they were like, shit, fuck, we're out of time. Uh, and <laughs> Put a bush in front of it. <laughs> they were probably out, honestly, they were probably out of like memory space too because when you go into the inside of that level, it is so art heavy. It is so detailed. There are so many fucking 3D models that are not used anywhere else in the game. And at some point, somebody must have been like, guys, you have to stop writing. You have to stop building. We physically cannot afford... The, our computers are melting and they're new. You need to stop. But yeah, I mean, you can definitely see where there were some compromises made. But on the whole, I think the only the only thing I would say suffers, like actually capital S suffers from this holistic approach uh, to a morality game is uh, there is some, I want to say it's like noticeably absent dialogue in places. Um, there are situations that just really should require characters to be speaking to each other and instead they have like two lines that they throw back and forth. I do think that was to save space and I think it was to save time. It just, some of it just had to go. So you can occasionally see some rough edges. Probably the most noticeable for players is that the guards have only like nine or ten phrases they recycle and if you're playing it as a true stealth game oh my god you will hear this exact exchange 85 times in a row with no break because it's theoretically randomized but i swear to god they didn't randomize it well enough you will hear shall we gather for whiskey and cigars tonight another night another patrol with you and that's it that's what those two say to each other and then one of them turns and walks away and does the rest of his route and you're sitting there like I'm Corvo Atano and I'm drunk on a Tuesday I'm gonna sleep dark everybody all of you are computer simulation it's bad I mean it is bad it is I can't make apologies for that it got dunked on for that even when it came out there were people who were like listen I desperately need the NPCs to say more than five things so I you know to answer your question, narrative design maybe shouldn't always get everything they want. <laughs> and I say that as a narrative designer. Yeah, as a follow-up, do you feel like not only just playing this game, but the amount of time that you've spent with this game, has it affected how you approach narrative design? Oh, infinitely. If I had to pick one thing, full stop, in my whole life that has affected the way I write, the way I look at games, the way I conceptualize games, it is Dishonored. Dishonored was the thing that made me fall back in love with video games in a very literal sense. I stopped playing games in my teens because it was either, basically my ADHD was so out of control that it was either play video games or get into college. I mean, there was other stuff. I was in drama club and that took up a lot of time and blah, blah, blah. But essentially it was like, you can't just stay up until one in the morning playing video games. You absolutely have to get good grades. So I did. And so I stopped playing. And then at 21, I was in college and I, I was much better at managing myself and my ADHD and I had free time all of a sudden because even though I was doing one trillion max level courses, I don't know like what, I know a lot of colleges have like a tier system for classes. So imagine choosing only the most difficult classes. And that was the, <laughs> that was the year I turned 21 was that I like I was buried, but I still had free time on the weekends. And uh, I was kind of reintroduced. Uh, a friend reintroduced me to Mass Effect, uh, which I had, I had never played. Uh, and he was like, you got to at least try it. Play Mass Effect 2 just like for a little bit, make a character, whatever, like just see how you feel. And I made a shepherd and I was like, oh my God, I miss video games. And then like the next thing I saw practically was that ad for Dishonored, which then haunted me, at which point I got a laptop that could run anything. And the first, I think maybe the first thing I did with my new laptop was I bought Dishonored <laughs> and I downloaded it. 
after that, I just was like, oh shit, I want to write video games. Like the part of me that was like 11 years old and was like mentally rewriting the ending of Ocarina of Time to make it emotionally satisfying, that part became my dominant personality, you know? It was like Dishonored literally just like opened a door for me. And I can't say enough about it from a, just from the perspective of one writer high-fiving other writers. I, I just can't say enough about it because Dishonored hit me the way I think like important great American novels hit people. Like the way some people talk about Catcher in the Rye is how I talk about Dishonored. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but I, d I do feel like it became my gameplay Bible. Um, and it certainly became my narrative design Bible just because of how intricate it is and how, how much it trusts the player to care and to know what's going on. Um, most of the lore is told through pieces of paper that you pick up, snippets of conversation that you hear. It's possible to speedrun the game and hear or experience none of it. Um, and it's possible also to 100% the game and just inundate yourself with useless information about how the void works and what are whales really? Do we know? Are they actually whales or are they some kind of like hyper-intelligent god creature that we shouldn't have killed? Spoiler alert, it's that second thing. If you're me and you've played just way too much of this game, you can do things where you are cross-referencing notes that you picked up in different levels to see if you can pinpoint where the plague came from. And I have a whole conspiracy theory about that uh, that no one wants to hear, so I won't get into it. But like, I mean, it just changed the way I thought about how you could tell a story in a video game. I had previously been like, Pokemon, Zelda, like I played a lot of Nintendo titles and those are beloved and wonderful, but very linear. So it just, it, it staggered me that you could ask the player to do something. <laughs> it, it just <laughs> blew my mind. Yeah, I don't know if I have, Anne, do you have any other? I think uh, we should do a wrap up and then I, I have a, a hypothetical. Okay. <laughs> you always, I always think like, maybe maybe this time there won't be a hypothetical. Not that like I don't like the hypotheticals, but every time I'm like, I think we've done, like, it was a good job. All right, cool. And then like, Yeah, you thought this was going to be a pacifist run where there isn't one. <laughs> I'm not going to blindside the guest. So typically uh, we usually ask people like to sort of give the elevator pitch of their thing. So like if you were trying to tell someone, and granted like this whole hour of, of us talking was sort of that in a way, but if you could <laughs> boil it down to someone who's maybe never played a game like this before or hasn't encountered anything like this like how would you pitch it to like maybe pick it up and try it out? Okay. Have you ever wanted to play a game where you could either sneak or shoot or do neither of those things where you can become a rat or become a fish and sneak around where you can walk into a scene with bad guys and just kind of talk to them for no reason or shoot them all in the face uh, and where all of the secondary characters are absolutely fascinating and the lore is almost worth novels. Would you like to play this thing? Would you like to experience a story like this where you are placed in the role of its greatest architect. I think that's probably my elevator pitch. I don't think I have anything else to say that would convince someone any harder, except I guess my other, the only other thing I could possibly add there is, do you want a 15-year-old boy to snark at you when you fuck up? Because some of you need it. Some of you really just desperately need it. Which, coincidentally, is also the pitch for Hack. <laughs> I was gonna say the 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 whales element was also is also a really strong sell I think because that immediately oh. got me going like oh yeah uh huh whales do you want to <laughs> fall asleep and see whales floating through your dreams that actually happens in this game that's real I didn't make it up it's there I mean realist if you're me here's the pitch. Did you like Gang Gangs of New York, but you wished it was more nautical and also, like, weirder and 
inexplicably gayer well then play Dishonored (laughs) where there is a man who has all of those things for you I'm admitting to myself that Slackjaw as a character is like Harvey Smith pointing a finger at me and going fuck you play my game because (laughs) I'm so enthralled by him every time he's on screen I feel like we may have just given away the answer to to my hypothetical which was I know that you have not played the sequels to this game so we're going to disregard them entirely if uh, if you were contacted by the game studio and they said oh man we really need a narrative designer for a spinoff from the I Dishonored would piss series. my we pants do, something new. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you have a pitch do you know what you would do yeah <laughs> yeah I do uh, my pitch for if they were if they were like a Dishonored universe spinoff my pitch would be all right hi Harvey Smith you're not listening to this I'm still pitching to you here's my spinoff we go back in time to what I, I think if I put it together correctly is ancient Pandicia before the outsider's death, before he was made a god, we go back there and we see what the fuck caused the plague. We see how badly those people fucked up to destroy their entire civilization and doom the rest of the empire for all of time. We see why. And we decide whether or not we stop it, knowing that it will undo all of the future. That's my fucking pitch. I don't know if it (laughs) sticks. I don't know if it works. But it has been turning over in my head since I first played the game, what if there's a note you find halfway through the game or you can find again it's up to you where one of the characters has all but solved where the plague originated where it came from but he doesn't know that he's done that you have to kind of cross-reference to figure that out and i am fascinated with the idea of the the whole empire of the isles which the games take place across several isles it takes place across gristal where dunwall is and circonos where the second game takes place but essentially the whole empire of the isles is basically doomed um because long long ago one of the isles fucked up very badly and during all of that fuck up the outsider was created his 15 year old form was created possibly the being that is the outsider existed before that we actually don't know as far as i know I've never played Death of the Outsider and I don't have spoils for it. Spoils. Spoilers for it. Um, (laughs) I got too excited. (laughs) But what I'm saying essentially is that there is such an open door for prequel material that is like interactive with the future timeline especially because in Dishonored 2 they fucking inexplicably introduce time travel. I guess it makes sense. You can stop time in the first game but damn. That's a leap. So I, I don't know. I, that's my pitch is why don't we explore beyond? Why don't we go back? And if we felt like fucking up the timeline even worse, we could do that. Imagine an even worse Empire of the Isles. What if everyone had the plague? I, I do enjoy the fact that your pitch is basically like, what if more chaos? I am a cruel and unfair god. <laughs> I want more potential for chaos so that I can sleep dart everyone again. <laughs> that's, that's all. That's what I'm asking for. Or my other my other pitch is give me the Slackjaw game. I just want to know what that dumb motherfucker's up to. I know that the novels are basically the Slackjaw show. There's novels. There's Dishonored novels. And essentially they are... I've never read them. But from what I understand from just what how the fan community has reacted, A, they are the Slackjaw show. And B, whoever wrote them got his accent wrong. So I'm just, all I'm saying is hire me to write 
get the Slapjaw game where we find out what this dumb fucking gang leader pirate motherfucker is doing with his life because I love him so much. <laughs> I hope in some way that dream comes true for you. Even it, whether I mean, it's like <laughs> there's always fan fiction. That's true. Honestly, that's that's absolutely true. Maybe maybe this is our side mission now is to try to to get this guy to listen to the podcast. <laughs> no, oh god, no. I don't, I don't need to be dead from embarrassment. Thank you. I also don't, I didn't mean it, guy. Guy who writes the Dishonored novels, you're probably swell. You're probably great. I have no idea what your name is or what your deal is, but you're probably fine, even if you got Slackjaw's voice wrong and I get it right all the time. It's probably fine. Don't worry about it. You're doing great. Yeah, well, thank you so much. This was such a fun, like, interesting conversation. I like to know nothing about a video game to then be, like, inundated with the lore. I was basically just, like, captivated the whole time. So thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad that any of it was interesting to someone who isn't me. (laughs) Because God knows I have talked people's ears off about this game before, and they've been like, I literally don't care at all. Like, the words coming out of your mouth mean nothing to me. Please shut the fuck up. Thank you for being my captive audience. Yes, of course. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, any projects you want to plug? Uh, whatever, this is your space, so go for it. Most notably, you can find me on Twitter, at Clair. That's H-A-D-S-T-C-L-A-I-R. That's where I'm most active. That's where all my shit is. You can also find, uh, if you're, hey, Harvey Smith, you can find my portfolio at HadleySaintClairWriter.com. Also, don't look at it. It's only, it's only an okay portfolio. It's like, whatever. It's ca- The photo's bad. The photo's really bad. The writing's good. Photo, bad. Oh, I guess I should plug, uh, I just wrapped up um, season two of Pretend Friends, uh, which is a show I do with uh, the lovely boys from Continue, uh, and also Kevin Cole, who is my game dev partner in crime, slash the creator of the game that we play on Pretend Friends. Um, he invented this tabletop RPG called Space Kings, and I said, yes, but what if this with elves, and made my version, which is <laughs> Fantasy Hour. So it's a RPG you play by flipping cards instead of rolling dice and it's a lot easier when you're drunk than D. and uh, it's really fun and if you want to go listen to pretend friends um if you've enjoyed at all me talking about dishonored you might enjoy me on pretend friends because i do a lot of narration and also a lot of heavy sighing as my narration is interrupted i love you guys love you pretend friends i love you Christina. you're great <laughs> and then i think that's it i think that's all of my plugs uh right now i'm working on getting the paper edition of uh, fantasy hour out and available to people i know people have been asking for it i know there will probably be comments under this being like Holy, when is the game coming out? I don't know. I don't I don't know. It comes out when I finish writing it. Slash, we're going to publish Space Kings first, so go bother Kevin. Not enough people bother <laughs> Kevin. Go bother Kevin. He doesn't have enough doesn't have enough mentions going on. Really blow up his Twitter feed, please. You can find Kevin at Real Kevin Cole. I'm kidding. <laughs> please don't. No, that's it. That's that's it for my plugs. Uh thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Guilty Treasures. You can follow us on Twitter at TreasuresCast. If you have questions or comments, you can hit us up there or via our email, guiltytreasurescast at gmail.com or hire Susan Sarandon to mutter strange demands at us. We'd like to say thank you to the people who've recently reviewed us on Apple Podcasts, including Barry R. And gosh, I love that you guys just have super good creative Apple usernames. Ohio State Butt Guy. Uh, If you would like, if you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. And if you like the show, tell a friend. Or unlock a secret dark ending by leaving a stealth review, which is the same as a 
normal review, except it's just kind of mysterious. Until next time, let the dragon in your heart be happy.